Hi there, and welcome to the Skylight Books author reading series. If you'd like to learn more about us and our many upcoming author events, please visit skylightbooks.com, where you can browse our inventory, buy books, and join our Friends with Benefits Club. You can also follow us on Twitter, Tumblr, and Facebook. To speak to a real live bookseller like me, please call 323-660-1175. Thanks for your support, and enjoy. Please let me introduce to you today, uh, Karolina Vatslaviak is the author of the critically acclaimed novels How to Get into Twin Palms and The Invaders. Uh, her third novel, Life Events, will be published by FSG in spring 2020. Uh, formerly an editor at The Believer, her writing has appeared in The New York Times, The LA Times, VQR, the Believer, Hazlitt, and other publications. And our guest of honor today, Sally Rooney, was born in the West of Ireland in 1991. Her work has appeared in The New Yorker, The New York Times, Granta, and the London Review of Books. Winner of the Sunday Times Young Writer of the Year Award in 2017. She is the author of Conversations with Friends and the editor of the Irish literary journalist Thinking Fly. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Carolina Vaslaviak and Sally Rooney. Hi. I was just telling Sally upstairs that I'm pretty much obsessed with her, so <laughs> clearly you all are too, so thank you for coming. Um, so I wanted to ask a few process questions first, um, and they are, the books, both Conversations with Friends and Normal People, they came out in quick su succession, mm. so I'm curious if you write quickly um, and which you wrote first. Yeah, um, I wrote the first one first. So I wrote um, Conversations with Friends very quickly. I wrote a first draft, which is actually much longer than the finished product. Um, and I wrote that in a couple of months, so maybe three months. Um, and then I put it away for a little while. And when I put it away, I started working on some ideas for short stories. And two of the characters who I met <clears throat> in those short stories were Connell and Marianne, who later become the pr protagonists of what will be called normal people somewhere later down the line. So then I kind of picked conversations with friends back up and started trying to reshape it into something that resembled a novel. And then again, put it away for a while because I just couldn't look at it. And then, uh, and then went back to these characters, uh, Connell and Marianne again. So they... They certainly did come out sequentially. Uh, the first one was written first and the second one second, but the ideas came pretty close together and I was sort of working on both at the same time for a little while. Oh, wow. So how long did it take you to revise conversations? And like, do you feel that you write a first draft very quickly and then spend like a year or two revising? What was the timeline? Yeah, so with that one, um, the whole thing from start to finish maybe took a year and eight months, a year and ten months, so nearly two years. And then the second one took a full two years. So I started writing it October 2015, and I finished it in October 2017. So it was like exactly two years for the second one. Um, yeah, as to whether I write a full first draft and then go back and revise it, not really. I, I generally drive myself into a dead end, and then I get really like despondent and exasperated and put it away for a while. Um, and hopefully work on other things, but a lot of the time just do nothing and feel very annoyed with myself. <laughs> um, and then kind of eventually go back to it and then reread it, delete all the stuff that I hate, which is a lot, sometimes over half of what I've written. Um, and then just start again 
from wherever I've kind of cut back to. So most often my drafting involves sending my characters down a dead end Mm -hmm. and like riding that dead end for a really long time and not knowing where the mistake was and then having to just step back from the whole book or the whole draft or whatever it is and then come back with sort of fresh eyes and realize oh okay it was on page two that I sent them in the wrong direction so there's a lot of backtracking to do so yeah it's kind of it's very like fumbling very kind of intuitive um not really a and and often it prevents me from getting to the end so it's very rare that I will write a full draft beginning middle and end and then have to come back and cut it usually I can't get to the end because I've done something wrong and then I just put it away so do you walk around like the streets thinking about these characters all the time? Do they plague you even when you're not writing, trying to like figure out the problem? Yeah, definitely. But I wouldn't even say plague because I kind of enjoy spending time with them. Um, I do have them in my head a lot and I'll bring them into scenarios from my own life. So like if something happens to me, I'll often imagine it happening to one of the fictional people I've invented. Um And so in that sense, they're definitely, they're probably on some level, some kind of psychological coping mechanism. I don't really know what they are, but they accompany me through my life. Um, I take them everywhere I go. And yeah, I mean, I I like to have them with me. Definitely, I feel when I'm between projects and I don't have an imaginary cast of characters accompanying me on my every movement, I feel a little bit like at a loose end. I feel like I absorb life, but I don't turn it into anything and it frustrates me. Whereas when I have an idea, and usually the idea is sort of characters, relationships between characters, then it helps me to make sense of life in a, in a different way, yeah. It's interesting, as you're talking, I'm thinking, as I was reading um, both books, but I was thinking normal people, like, you have such a deep empathy for your characters, and I feel like you really love them. Mm. Um, and just in how they communicate with each other, I was thinking about um, your background in... Um, being a debate champion and I think so much of your dialogue is so brilliant and feels like human and real and I'm wondering if that plays in at all to how you have your characters relate to each other yeah I don't I don't think that I think it it does but not in quite the way you've described so I think the I I was when I was in university I was like involved in college debating um And I think probably what drew me to doing that in the first place was being very interested in human speech um, and also in interpersonal conflict and aggression. So I think, so drawing on both of those tastes, um, I I brought them into the books as as well, but for different reasons. So I think I I was interested in debating because I liked argument and like I liked a good fight. And then... um, in my novels, often I'm interested in pushing my characters into fights with one another or conflicts or like slightly suppressed, submerged conflicts, interested in following how those things express themselves through speech and but also through gestures and all that kind of thing. Um, so I would say it's probably some deep personal tendency on my part that drew me both to debating and to, um, and to writing fiction. Um, I don't know that I could say one informed the other, if that makes sense. Okay. Um, so much of what keeps Connell and Marianne apart uh, is m- miscommunication. And I think, um, and the New Yorker profile, I think, said this very astutely that you have captured how we speak today, not just back and forth, but also like through texts and email and stuff. And I'm wondering if you think um, how our ability to talk through text and stuff has aided that miscommunication. Mm, yeah, I mean, I guess it's kind of, it's actually going back a little bit to what you said about having empathy for my characters. I don't feel like I'm 
interested in my fiction and possibly also just as a person in offering judgments on the on the sort of normative value of those things like like texts and email like are they good or bad what is the effect they have on our lives what I'm interested in doing is just observing them and how they work so like that's the texture that really interests me so I'm interested in seeing how people use text messages and emails to try and communicate, how people can kind of curate a different identity for themselves in text than they might be able to do in person, and how different forms of communication are shaped by like our, our embodied selves, like whether we're physically present um, and the person we're speaking to is physically present during the dialogue versus when we're far away from the person that we're talking to and the effects that has. So any kind of judgment that I'm making about the relative sort of values of those things is a second it's a secondhand judgment it's a post post hoc rationalization of the thing I've been writing about because when I'm doing it I'm not thinking oh now I'm going to write about how texts have destroyed our relationships I'm thinking like oh I wonder how it would feel to get this text or I wonder what why my character would want to communicate in this particular way at a given time and I think like it's probably true to an extent that the character's present their selves or their identities slightly differently in writing and in person and, and in dialogue um but I don't think that I'm saying that I think one of those is more authentic than the other. Right. I mean, maybe the authentic self is the self in your emails and the inauthentic self is the one that you are in person. I don't know. Um, maybe there is no authentic self. That's probably a more convincing answer. But so I'm not really interested in adjudicating on those things. I'm just interested in looking at them and I guess trying to, and trying to observe something about the texture of how they feel in everyday life. But something I think about in writing fiction, I sometimes wonder like, am I more truthful in the fiction that I write? Mm. Like how much space, because you have a layer of fiction that you're able to mine feelings that are real, but with like a layer of safety almost. Mm. And I wonder, yeah, it's just something that I'm thinking about as you're talking. It's interesting because you, you don't really write nonfiction, right? No, I don't. Um, one thing I was thinking about too was how you investigate desire and it's not just like desire for another person which I think you write so well but also um, in both work this feeling of like desire to class pass or desire mm. to be in another class and it's something so interesting that I don't think a lot of writers do now and it doesn't feel didactic and I'm wondering like how you feel about being political in your fiction and how to do it without being didactic. Yeah, well, I mean, to be honest, sometimes my concern is in the other direction in the sense that, like, I do have strong, you know, political commitments, philosophical commitments or whatever, um, and I'm very aware at the same time that my work is in no sense didactic. Like, nobody is coming to my work with an ideological open mind and then closing the book and thinking, now I'm a Marxist. Like, that's not the effect that my book has, that any of my work has on anyone. And I'm aware while I'm writing it that that is, like, that's, that's not what I'm trying to do. Um, and so then the, and then the question becomes, like, well, then in what way are the, can these, can work said to be, can my work said to be political? Like, in what way is it political at all then? Um, and I guess, like, it's about, it's sort of about the bringing, uh, like, the framework of Marxist class analysis is what helps me to make sense of the world as I see it. So then I'm obviously bringing that framework to the world that I'm observing in the books because that is what, it is what makes sense of the world that I live in for me. And so then bringing it to my work, it's about being 
sensitive to and aware of, I guess, the impact of things, material things like class on the lives that these characters are living. And also like the material impact of things like gender, you know, from a feminist perspective. Um, but again, like without any intent to cause any effect in the reader, other than, I guess, to heighten to heighten awareness in some way of those but that's not even that's not even the point it's a, that may be a secondary effect but that's not the, that's not the point of doing it so i i don't really know and sometimes i worry that the the fiction i write those concerns are sort of suppressed below the level of plot like that really the books are uh, love stories or stories about personal development or their coming of age stories in which ideas like class and gender have a role to play because those things have a role to play in all our lives but that the concerns are somehow secondary or they're like submerged below the level of narrative and I think I'm open to criticism on that point I don't think I've fi figured out exactly how to accommodate the kind of political ideas I'm interested in within the form of the novel and I think the novel is a pretty capacious form that can accommodate a lot and um, I think there are novelists I know there are doing really interesting things with it and I don't think I'm really doing those things um, so yeah I think it's something that I definitely think about that I want to inquire more about as I as I as I write more I mean I was thinking while I was reading Sort Connell is able to go to Trinity and class pass because of intelligence, right? And like you are, you gain entry into these spaces that you might not have been able to enter because you're hyper intelligent. He was like the most intelligent person at school, and that was a central tension between him and Marianne. And it got me thinking, like in the U.S you can enter those spaces if you aren't necessarily, you know, a rich person, you can suddenly be around rich people, but it comes at a cost of like student loans. Mm. And I was thinking, you know, what's happening here. And I think why the books resonate so much with people is your books are thoroughly modern and they speak to like what people are, are trying to navigate. And I, I feel like in Ireland there's a tech boom and there's class disparity and all of that going on too and it's not really a question but it's something that I was thinking about um yeah well I think it's like the the globalization process you know I mean it means that a lot of the challenges facing like urban areas in in liberal democracies are extremely similar. And also the language that we use to communicate about those problems has become extremely similar because of the rapid sort of um, cultural smoothing effect of international television and the internet. So like my characters are growing up with all the same set of cultural references that most of the people in this room have. Um, and like there's, again, that's that's like a, I'm not necessarily offering a kind of normative commentary on whether that's a good process or not, whether it's useful for Ireland to have undergone this extreme, like very rapid sort of cultural smoothing and Americanization um, at a level of both the economy and I think the culture. Um, I'm not saying, yeah, I'm not offering any commentary on it, but I'm trying to observe it in process, I guess is the point. And I do think you're right, like there are a lot of similar, and, and I think there are a lot of generational concerns also that are echoed very closely between what's going on in Ireland and what's going on, and I, I can only say as an outside observer, but what's going on here, yeah. Yep. So a lot of your book also has to deal with power struggles, right? Mm. And it's not just class um, concerns, but also like between men and women. And as I was reading, I was thinking about 
sort of two kinds of cruelty in the book. Um, one between Connell and Marianne of like, let's be quiet about this relationship. And then the, um, the cruelty that, that Marianne chooses, right? Abjection that mm -hmm. she chooses uh, in later relationships. And I'm curious, um, having those side by side, why that was interesting for you to do, if that was a choice to look at sort of how she submits in these two different ways. Mm -hmm. So the so the novel for I'm sure most of you don't know is about these two characters who when we meet them they're teenagers they're sort of eighteen they're in their final year of school and um, the guy Connell Waldron is sort of like relatively popular and normal in school and the and the young woman Marianne Sheridan is like a social outcast and not um, she feels like. Um, she probably feels herself to be superior to the people she goes to school with. Um, or at least she convinces herself that she feels that perhaps in order to compensate for her extreme social failure. Um, and so, great. yeah, like, and then, um, and then the two of them outside school begin a relationship, but because of the disparity between them within school and because of other reasons, they decide to keep this relationship secret or rather Connell decides it's going to be secret and Marianne kind of complies with this request. So that's the opening salvo of the relationship that goes on to structure the rest of the book. And we follow them throughout their, we follow them through university until they're 22. Um, so yeah, I mean, I guess like I was presented with these characters who I feel kind of like walked into my brain and then my job was to kind of watch them interacting and take notes on their interactions and then try and follow them into the most interesting interactions they could have. So I, again, often went into dead ends where they had like really long interactions that didn't make it into the book because they weren't interesting. Um, and then... The process of choosing how each of them were going to explore their lives outside one another, like I was quite constrained because I felt my subject in this book was not really the development of two individuals so much as it was the development of one relationship. And so I ended up being very um, limited in the parts of their sort of psychologies that I could explore for that reason. Like almost every single section in the book is structured around an interaction between these two characters, almost all of them. Um, and so it meant that there were these big sort of lacunae, like big areas of their lives that just didn't get explored in the book at all. Um, and yeah, there's a lot we don't know about Marianne and there's probably maybe there are other books that I could have written with these characters where they would make like fleeting appearances in each other's lives but the rest of it will be about other things um, and this was the book that I chose to write and so we understand that Marianne sort of craves um, poor treatment and in a sense like degradation by others but we don't necessarily get a very lasting look at how that process has come about or why. And I don't know if that's a question that is possible to be answered. Um, it may be one of those developmental questions that there is no answer to, but if there is one, it's not in this book. Um, we never really come to a full understanding of why that process has taken place in her. We only really see it insofar as it's relevant to her relationship with Connell, which is the subject of the book. And so for that reason, yeah, I don't know. There's so many things that I didn't do in, in the novel, which I now kind of feel like would have been equally, if not more interesting to do, but this is the novel that I wrote. So, <laughs> um, well, it, I was thinking about like Chris Krauss and Kathy Acker and thinking about women who submit in relationships and sort of exploring that. And so I found it really interesting that you were doing 
this the sort of the similar things but in a in a new way and yeah just how you were playing with power and Marianne has power in some respects and then Connell has power and I think you know he's so shy and so unsure of himself and doesn't know himself throughout so much of the book and I feel like she is less fumbling in a way. Mm, like mm -hmm. she plunges head first into situations to try to know herself more, mm -hmm. um, which I found interesting in how you give space to the interior lives of women, right? Um, in both books and this in particular, but there's still like um, a distance to the feelings mm. um, that Marianne has almost like she stepped out of her body to look at herself mm. from afar. Mm. And I wonder if that was a choice because I felt it, a similar way with Francis and conversations with friends in that this like looking at yourself almost as a specimen, but it still felt so intimate in a way that like was uncomfortable and felt very relatable and stuff but I, yeah I'm wondering if it was a choice to have a distance to the feelings yeah I mean I think um in both books in different ways I was interested in writing about characters who are trying to figure out their relationship with um I guess like with their own identities is a very broad way of putting it but I suppose particularly with the young women characters I was writing about people who were relatively comfortable or very comfortable with words and language and then relatedly with sort of ideas and concepts. So both Francis in the first book and, and Marianne in the second in a different way feel at home with sort of what they think of as like intellectual discourse or talking about ideas um, or even to an extent talking about feelings in the abstract, not talking about their own feelings, but talking about the existence of feelings as an idea um, and are interested in psychological discourse and are interested in like reading other people and figuring out what's going on um, with other people's feelings. Um, but that are but they're less comfortable when it comes to um, living within a body. So like they're less comfortable with physical um, feelings and responses, stuff as basic as like hunger and thirst, but also pain and pleasure, um, and then also like emotions, um, feeling feelings and admitting that they're feeling them. And I think yeah, I mean Francis and Marianne to me are quite different characters, but I do think they have that central concern in common, which is like trying to negotiate this unhappy relationship between what they feel to be like the brain and the body in terms of how they move through the world. Um, they feel comfortable when they're allowed to dwell on the level of what they feel is their brain um, and they're less comfortable on the level of having to drag a physical body through the material world with them at all times. Um, and I think um, Connell is a little bit different. So he, as you identify, he's deeply insecure and anxious in many ways, but not necessarily physically in the same way. Right. His relationship between his his mind and body isn't necessarily as tortured as it is for, for Marianne. Um, and like maybe there's something to do with gender in that, I don't know. Um, maybe it just has to do with the individual psychological quirks of these two particular characters, but I definitely felt like it was interesting it was an interesting area for me to explore. And even having written about it in the first book, I still felt like I was interested to write about it again in a different way in the second book. So there's obviously something there um, that compels me to kind of, to try and take that apart and explore what's going on. Yeah, it's almost as if Marianne is walking around trying to wrestle with how to be a person. 
I feel like that her like why can't I be accepted in high school and then being accepted in college but still feeling a sense of other and not being able to relate to people on a human level even if their mm-hmm. conversations and the banter and all of that and so yeah it was it was so relatable to think like oh everyone's walking around trying to figure out how to mm-hmm. be a person <laughs> um so one other thing that I'm I think you do so well. Um, there's so many bad sex scenes in literature. I don't know if you've noticed. Uh, and you write about sex so well. And I'm just curious, how? How do you do it, Sally? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I I tend to only write sex scenes when there is something happening. Like, to me, when I hear the phrase sex scene, it's kind of like saying oh, it's one of those dialogue scenes. Like, as in, something has to actually be communicated within the dialogue for it to be worth writing about. And similarly, to me, like, if I'm going to write a sex scene that doesn't just say, after they had sex, they went for a walk and talked about whatever, um, where I actually, like, go with the characters to some extent through the sexual exchange, um, it, there has to be something changing. Like, it has to have a scene in it. Um, and so usually I'm there with the characters, either because the intimacy between them and the, and the feelings between them are on some level getting like deeper and more substantial. They're connecting with one another in a new way or that there is something not working and there is something being withheld or they're not comfortable with each other or both, that there are both insecurities and there's also you know real feelings or whatever involved. So I, I tend only to approach sex scenes if I feel I really have to do it for, for like narrative reasons, that there's like something going on in this scene that if the reader doesn't read it, they won't know the characters in the way that I do and they won't be able to understand the relationship in the way that's like necessary. Um, and so that's the kind of prevailing ethos that like only when necessary for me. Uh, and, and then in terms of like how to write them technically, I feel like I'm very, very cautious um, perhaps overly so in in the sense that I'm I'm particularly when it comes to sex scenes always worried about writing the one sentence that will like kill it and make the scene unreadably horrible and so it's like just a case of always not using the wrong word thus limiting myself to about like 10 acceptable words and then just putting those in the right order and moving on so it's like it's not it's I feel like I am very restrained in the way that I approach them and I have had editors say you know you could be a little bit freer with these and and I think they're probably right but there's a there's a sense of like just not wanting to make to make it not work like that I feel yeah so I'm generally guided by an extreme aversion to getting it wrong (laughs) and but like but a but a sort of like admitting to myself that it has to be done and then and then getting through it kind of thing. Um, I, so I think, yeah, I mean, like, I'm interested in my character's intimate lives. Like, I think for, for people who've read my work, that's probably obvious. Like, I, I do really like following them into their most intimate conversations and some of those conversations will happen in bed so I have to follow them in there um, and that, and and so I think that that's if I really want to know these characters I think I have to know what they're like on that level and so I let that kind of guide me even though I'm always wary of like putting a foot wrong and ruining the whole chapter and therefore book yeah well <laughs> I think that's sex scenes are often where the most interesting power plays are happening, Mm -hmm. you know, and like one character is throwing the power to another and back and forth. And then you really see like if how someone manipulates the other to get what they need or how their needs aren't getting met Mm -hmm. and how they react when their needs aren't met. 
So it feels like the perfect place to really get to know your characters. Absolutely. And particularly their relationships, which is what right. I'm interested in. So like, I'm not so interested in knowing my characters as individuals because I'm still not totally sure how you can know anyone as an individual. So I'm interested in getting to know them within the structuring, like metaphor of the relationships that are depicted in the books. And so, yeah, it feels like I have to go there with them and find out how does the relationship work on this level. And sometimes it's not good. Like there are uncomfortable sex scenes, I think in both the books. Um, and it's and it's about being there with them. And again, in the way that I've talked about in a sort of like, hopefully kind of neutral, non-judgmental way, just observing what happens right. and trying to write about it in a fairly sort of hands-off, right. attentive, observant, but not like normative or judgment making um, kind of way and that's that's I think the only way that I've figured out how to be able to do it yeah well you sort of let them be vulnerable without putting a layer of like this is how you should feel about mm -hmm. it you know this is what this is why they're doing or trying to psychologize it's just you bring us into the scene and we have to make our own judgments mm -hmm. we squirm along with them or what have you and I think that's a really smart way to approach because I think, as you said, trying to layer on meaning of like, this is, this is why this matters, mm -hmm. like, you know, is, is always a trap. Um, what do you think are the biggest misconceptions about your work? I know we were talking upstairs that you quit Twitter um, because you're currently uh, feeding the take economy right now. <laughs> so very smart move to quit Twitter. <laughs> Um, but yeah, if, if I know you saw two reviews and I never read reviews, mm -hmm. I think that's a trap too, but in just thinking about your own work or conversations that you've had that you feel like this is what I was going for and this isn't translating or. Yeah. I mean, as you say, I think I am somewhat removed from the, the economy of discourse around these books. Um, I don't really know what people are saying about them. It's and, all good. Oh, well, that's <laughs> nice. Um, I, I think it's good. Actually, I think it's good for me not to be reading it, even if it's nice, and perhaps particularly if it's nice, because um, first of all, I think if you're going to get, if you're going to start feeling, if you're going to start believing that, like believing that the books are good because people say they're good, then you have to make a pact with yourself that you believe they're bad if people say they're right. bad. And that's a dangerous pact, you know, to make. Um, I think you, ha you have to try and allow your own assessment of the work, whatever that might be, to be the true one and, and try and keep the other assessment made by other people at arm's length. Not because your own is more accurate, but because it's the only one that you have to guide you going forward with whatever work you want to do next. Um, so it's important for, m for me just not to let whatever, whatever the many ways that my books are being discussed might be. Um, obviously, like on one hand, I'm delighted that they're being discussed at all. Like that's, that's a huge privilege. But, but it is just important in terms of like me wanting to write another book ever um, to not let myself start thinking about my work in the way that it's talked about. Because then I'll start thinking, oh, but this is what people will say about the next right. book I'll write, or it'll be compared to my existing work in whatever previous... And like, I can't cancel that out of my mind completely, even now, even when I'm not reading anything um, about myself or the books. I still sometimes, when I'm working on something new, think, oh, it'll be seen as similar to normal people in this way, or it'll be different in a different way. Um, and I don't like that instinct at all. So I do whatever I can to minimize that. And for me, that means just like not paying attention to what is said about the work. And again, that's, yeah, again, it's not about thinking that there's nothing valuable being written. Again, like I feel very privileged to have people write about my work at all. And I'm sure there's 
stuff that could really be honestly very valuable for me, especially the constructive criticism. Like maybe I could learn a lot from that, but I just don't think I can be open to it now because it's too close and it's too much. Like, and I'm trying to write a new book. So it's just too, yeah, I don't want to like take it in. Um, Maybe like down the line. I have a friend who says, wait five years and then go back and read all the book, read the the reviews of the book that came out five years ago. And you're like, you're Zen by then. Um, But I don't think I'm there yet. Yeah. Um, yeah, actually, because it sounds like it didn't factor into writing normal people either because you sort of wrote them concurrently. So did you miss the whole wave of from conversations? Yeah, pretty much. Like I had, um, as I said, the characters. I had like I, what I wouldn't call a first draft, but I was well on my way. I had like a big chunk of the writing done um, of normal people by the time I even signed the book deal for conversations with friends. And then by the time that it came out, I had probably almost the whole book done. Yeah. So yeah, because I handed it in like a couple of months after um, conversations with friends came out. I know I couldn't have been working that hard then. So yeah, Um, I I would say it was nearly finished. And that definitely was a good thing. And it meant that I could allow myself to do things because I had no anticipation of the first book ever being a physical book, like a commodity that people could buy in shops. Um, So I had the freedom of not knowing about that or thinking about that at all while I was conceiving of at least the idea and the bones of what would be the second book what a gift I know very (laughs) lucky yeah um so what are you working on now I saw are you writing a script on about normal people based on normal people yeah so we're making a tv show of normal people which I have been involved with um so that's um, with the BBC in, in, the, in the UK and Ireland. Um, and so I've been working on those scripts um, with, a, with a other people, another writer, and, a, and obviously a, a whole team of people. Um, and that's been fun, like very, very different from writing a novel. Um, and it's, yeah, it's, it's, been, it's been enjoyable and, and good, but I'm also trying to write um, something new, some like new prose work. Which um, you won't talk about or you will um, I just feel like, I think it's at the point where if I say, this is going to be my third novel, then I'm jinxing it. Right. So it's like a long work of prose written by me. <laughs> <laughs> Um, it's not finished but like as I was describing at the beginning um, with my process like it's by the time it's actually finished it's basically going to be done I don't really write to the end and then have to go back and do drafts by the time I get to the end I've basically written it so I'm certainly not anywhere near the end yet um, but that's kind of exciting because I really like being in the middle of the process so I'm enjoying that a lot and I have the the sort of four characters who are the protagonists of the book um of the of the book um of the of the prose um yeah so I'm 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 enjoying that and that's kind of that's kind of where I like to be like that's my favorite thing to be doing um and I have the characters with me in my head and that kind of thing so I'm in a good place with with the work which isn't to say it will ever get finished because some of the most fun I've had writing has been with stories that never ended up getting finished you know so it's not always a good indication you know, how you feel emotionally about the work when you're like halfway through it is not necessarily a good indication of its quality. Um, but no, it's, 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 going, it's going okay for the moment. By halfway, I'm despondent and feel like I'll never get to the mm. end. Yeah, so. yeah, <laughs> definitely. How has it been adapting your own work? Um, really interesting, very different. Um, because the process has been very collaborative in a great way and everyone that I'm working with has been amazing. Um, it is just a very different kind of, it's a different form of creativity, I guess you could say. Like authorship is a really traditional um 
way of producing a creative work. Like it's extremely individualistic and you begin to believe in your own, your own kind of <laughs> like creative value as the person who comes up with the idea, but also sees the idea through to the end. Like you've literally written every sentence that appears in your book. You're God. Yeah. You are the God of this universe that you've invented. Um, and so breaking out of that and doing something in a completely different way where you're one of a whole team of people, all of whom are creatively invested in the, in the whole project, all of whom have different particular areas of interest and areas of expertise and, st and, and different experiences with the medium. Um, yeah, it's a very, like, it's a very different feeling to be a contributor to something rather than, yeah, to be like the, the towering theocrat who's like overseeing the whole project from beginning to end. So it's been like nice for me, really nice to be working with other people because as you know, like writing can be extremely solitary. Um, so it's nice to see human faces and that kind of thing now and again. Um, but yeah, no, so it's been a really positive experience, but it's not, I guess, it's not the, the, kind of creative work that I'm most drawn to like I definitely think there's a reason that I went down the path of wanting to write novels first and foremost um because that's just by disposition I think that's kind of like what suits me but I love but I, I have loved doing something that's completely different from that yeah yeah I think sometimes it's good to just get out of yourself and like you mm. said see people and yeah. leave the house once in a while yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I hear that's good yeah um I think I have two last questions and then we can open it up. Um, what have you been reading lately? Oh, I just finished reading on the, on the plane from, I was in New York a couple of days ago. So on the plane from Dublin to New York, I finished reading this book by um, the French writer Emmanuel Carrère called The Kingdom. Um, so it's a book about um, the author's short-lived conversion to Catholicism and it's also a kind of retelling of the Gospel of Luke um, sort of like re-examining the origins of that text um, and then giving some historical perspective on the emergence of the Gospels. Um, it blew me away, I really found it incredibly moving um, and I guess, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, I wrote a little bit about the Gospels in, in conversations with friends. Francis goes through a sort of phase of like rereading them in a very, very dubious a la carte kind of way. Um, but so they've always really interested me from a sort of like a, a literary critical point of view. Um, and I guess increasingly I'm interested in, um, in the Gospels from a philosophical point of view. And I guess that's what, that's what I, uh, that's why I um, wanted to read this book, The Kingdom. And it, it really fulfilled that um, that desire I had to understand more about the philosophical, theological underpinnings of Christianity and Catholicism in specific. Um, I just found it like one of the most fascinating books I've read in in ages. So I would recommend it very generally. I think it's a really, really good book. Um, but yeah, it just it just met a particular area of sort of like literary, sociological, religious interest for me. So it was a re really, really interesting read. My last frivolous question. What pop culture do you consume? Oh, um, I would say, except for the moment, because I've deactivated, I'm a big Twitter, um, I would go so far as to say connoisseur. Um, <laughs> I'm extremely online and like I know all the memes. Like I, I, I like the particularly recondite, like crunchy internet humor, <laughs> like very, very poor quality pixelated sort of JPEGs. Yeah. Um, How many like, hours do you spend on Reddit? Oh, no, I'm not a Reddit. No, no, I'm not a Reddit person. I used to be like a kind of Tumblr teenager and then and then um, and then Twitter was. Yeah. Um, so I think that's kind of like my main interaction with 
with the pop culture is like filtered through um, memes. And then sometimes I'll follow them back to the source and actually find out what's happening in the news or, or watch the TV show that's being made into memes. Um, but no, yeah, but, but generally it's, it's that. Like, I mean, obviously I consume pop culture in all the normal ways as well as that. But that, I would say, is my one particularly like deep cut area of, um, of like doing way too much of it in an unhealthy way, which means that actually I have so much free time now that I've deactivated my Twitter. Who knew there were so many hours in the day? But I, but I, get, a lot of, I, get, I get a lot of work done, which is good. Sally Rooney meme queen. I love it. Um, questions. Who has a question? Thank you so much. Did everyone hear that question? Did uh, cool. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, this is really interesting for me right now because when I wrote my first book, um, the first like chapter, probably the first three or four chapters, basically came out exactly as they are, like exactly the same. Um, I maybe I added like a little few sentences here and there, but it's basically exactly the same. So the first sentence of the book that I wrote, the first paragraph of the book that I wrote was already in Francis's voice. That's the narrator of the, of the first book. Um, I just felt like I kn knew how she talked or like how she would narrate. And so using that voice was like the key to opening the book for me. And it was the very first thing I found. So it was like really handy. And then with the second one, I, did a I tried a couple of different things. So as I said, I met these characters um, first and I wrote a short story about them which was a little bit different and then wrote a different short story about them which again used a slightly different voice and then eventually I kind of hit on this way of writing in a close third person but flipping between them so for one chapter following Connell and sort of sticking to his psychological point of view and then flipping and, and following Marianne but I hit on that fairly early in the process um, and then with the with what I'm trying to write now I just couldn't find a way into the story that I wanted to tell. So I had like these four characters who I wanted to write about and I just had no idea whose perspective am I going to write from? Who do I follow? Is it third person? Is it first person? Where does the story begin? Because some of these characters have known each other for like 10 years. Do I begin at the beginning or do, do I hop in like five years or 10 years down the line? I just couldn't figure it out and it was immensely frustrating. Um, and now I'm tentatively trying to do something a little bit different with voice that I haven't tried before and hopefully that's kind of the key that will open this, the story for me but I feel like I've just been wandering around inside a locked house for like six months like what is going on in there like it's so it's and and, and what's added to my frustration is the sense that like if this was meant to be it would have been really easy because like the first two books were really easy <laughs> but but I also don't think they were I think that's the story that I tell myself now is like oh the first two books were so easy to write I'm sure that if I could watch myself trying to write them I would have had many moments of struggle and frustration and despondency as well um, and in retrospect I remember them as being super easy to write because they're now published um, but yeah so I, I, like I, do, I guess the answer is I, I think sometimes it's the first thing that arrives more or less and sometimes it just takes like a lot of um, difficulty and despair before something emerges and maybe sometimes it just never emerges and I have to move on and not write that story because I couldn't figure out a way to tell it um, so I think that ki that's kind of the answer sometimes it's easy and sometimes not do you want to oh 
do you, do you, no, I, yeah, how do we choose who's going <laughs> to? Great. You can choose the next. Okay. <laughs> um, that's, a, that's a good question. I guess um, one of the answers is because if I wanted to write political polemic, I would just write it. Um, and I don't rule out the possibility of doing so. Like maybe I will get to a point where I feel like I have thoughts interesting or fresh enough um, that haven't already been said by people much smarter than me that I want to share um, that I feel have some kind of political utility. Um, I haven't reached that point in my, whatever you want to call it, intellectual development. So I don't think I have anything fresh to add to political discourse right now. Um, what I do have are stories I came up with, so I know they haven't been told before because I invented them and I, and I want to write those stories. So within those stories, which is all I have, the, the only thing that I have to contribute that I think is new, um, I don't think that I have room for my personal judgments, or I don't think they're relevant. Like, I don't feel that the reader benefits from knowing what I think or feel um, about the characters or... I mean, I think... I don't think anyone comes away from, from reading these novels, and I may be wrong, thinking that I feel that sexism is good or that the effects of the capitalist system are actually beneficial on personal relationships. Like I think the general overall thematics of the novel point to the crushing pressure that those systems bring to bear on intimate relationships more than anything. Um, but like, do I feel the need to interject as the narrator and say, I, Sally Rooney, by the way, am behind the scenes saying, I think sexism's bad. Like, I, I, don't, see, I don't see what I would be bringing to, to the novel novel by doing that and I feel like increasingly skeptical of my utility as the narrator like I don't really think I have a lot to add all I have are these characters I came up with if people are interested to read about them that's great and if they're not I completely understand why they wouldn't be um but they're all I have and so I I just I I feel like my job is to get to know them really well, to try and understand them as best I can, and to present the events in their lives in an interesting way, but not to offer my personal thoughts about them, because I don't think my thoughts are very interesting, um, or uh, like I don't think I have anything new in that in that realm to offer the reader. What I do have that's that's new, or a little bit new at least, is the lives of just these individuals that I've happened to invent. So I think that comes some way to answering the question, and what I think it, it really is, it's about the difference between writing a novel and writing um, a sort of a, a polemic. Um, and I, I think some, you know, very distinguished theorists would argue that the separation is not as clear as the one that I've outlined. And perhaps there's something cowardly about the distinction as I've drawn it. I think I'm open to criticism on that point. Um, but I, but I, that's the answer that I've managed to sort of settle myself with for the moment. I don't think that my convictions are necessarily utterly disguised, but I also don't think that I have anything to offer the reader on those lines other than just staying true to the characters as I see them. Your turn. Oh yeah, like a lot. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I often think like the, the, the perfect novelist in a way would be someone who had read every single novel that was ever published because I do feel novels are in conversation with other novels. You know, like no, the novel form um, 
is not just a neutral description of fictional events. It's like a it's like a specific cultural form produced under specific cultural and political circumstances that's developed in specific ways. And so I'm always trying to be conscious of that. And obviously the best way to be conscious of it is to read as widely as I can. And that's what I try um, in my very limited way to do. So I definitely feel like some of the influences are more obvious than others. I think the sort of what you might call the, the bourgeois 19th century novel, particularly as it developed in England, um, kind of very clearly has its has its fingerprints on what I'm doing um, partly because of my academic background I studied English literature at college and so I was really exposed to the development of that novel as a form you know from say Austen onward um, and that that w that's very much how I conceive of the novel and what the novel can do and then I guess it's my job to like challenge myself and think outside of that framework for lots of reasons creative as, as well as political and ideological and so I'm trying to read you know um more broadly um and I think there is probably like hopefully some evidence of that as well engagement with new n new kinds of writing um that push past the the confines of that kind of novel but I but I also you know I do I do love the 19th century novel and I'm always trying to ask myself like why <laughs> why do I love that way of writing when I feel like it's so it's so sort of confining and oppressive on so many levels um but it's also kind of like a perfect example of what it is um and I aspire to that kind of formal perfection in a way even though I wouldn't want to replicate what those novels were doing at that moment in history um so yeah I mean it's it's always about just trying to re read as much as I can and 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 be open be an open reader and try and absorb what's going on in literature and reflect the interesting questions that other writers are asking and offer my own little answers if I can so yeah you read widely while you're writing no not during every point of the process so when I'm really intensely um sort of gripped by a new idea sometimes I can go like weeks without really reading anything I might like pick things up but I get quite frustrated by reading when I'm in that phase because I either feel like what I'm reading frustrates me because it's not similar to what I want to do yeah. and therefore it's not like feeding me or it's too similar to what I want to do and then I get like frustrated and annoyed and jealous that I haven't written the book I'm reading and yeah so I, I sometimes and like and they're and they're thankfully relatively confined spaces of time because if I went like months without reading a book that would be very unhealthy for me I think um so but uh, so that usually it'll be like a couple of weeks at a time I just can't look at books and um, because I want to be with my own work and then thankfully I, I get normal again and I start reading yeah that's interesting interesting I was talking to a friend who's a writer and we were talking about how we can't really read when we're mm. writing because we're so worried about picking up influences yeah. or picking up a line here or there and we just both finished our books and we're like god we can read amazing <laughs> <laughs> yeah reading's pretty good yeah um are there more questions Aha, uh -huh, thank you. Did, did people hear that question? It's just about um, how I write male characters. So, um, like, how do I make the men seem like humans? Um, it's a challenge. It's a tough one. No, no, but um, I love them, really. Um, no, it is actually about... It is... Because it's funny, like, I, I definitely, particularly with the second book, because I go so close to my male character, um, Connell, um, 
I'm basically writing from his perspective. So I'm there in his in his thoughts and feelings a lot of the time. And I did obviously ask myself, like, is this um, real? Like, am I, when I was writing from his perspective, I felt very close to him. But what if this is just like an invented sort of female idea of what a man would think and feel like? And I'm not accessing the interior truth of what it would feel like to be a man. And I guess like I answered that question for myself in a very abstract way by saying like to myself that I don't really, when I think about gender, like what is it? I don't really believe in it very much. So I kind of see it as like a series of, like it's a series of messages, almost like a series of cultural texts that we're given as children. And we're all allowed to read both of them, but we're told one of them's for you and one of them's not. Um, and at that then, it was just a leap of imagination, like what if I'd been told the other set of texts was for me? Um, and I, I allowed myself to make that leap because I felt like we do all, we all are socialized together. Like we all grow, I went, you know, you grow up alongside boys as well as other girls. Um, and you, you're always conscious of the other as well as of yourself. So I just felt like I had to allow myself to imagine that those were the specific pressures and the specific privileges and the specific permissions um, as well as the specific like prohibitions um, that I sort of had grown up with and imagined myself into that consciousness. And, and, I, and it wasn't in any way, uh, which I hope is obvious, trying to write the like, the example man who's like goes through all the things men go through like he, he the character that I wrote is a very idiosyncratic individual he's not at all like many men he, or he may be I don't know but I wasn't interested in making a commentary on like I don't think I was interested really in making a commentary on masculinity even though I'm very interested in masculinity it wasn't what I was trying to do in the in the book it may have like crept in um but only to whatever extent I was trying to observe this one guy and his experiences so that was kind of how I approached it. I didn't um, seek out men and get their feedback on that aspect. I do have I do have um, male writer friends who did give me great feedback, but not like gender feedback specifically. Um, and I am sure and I hope that they would have told me if there were things that just didn't make any sense. Um, but I think it was important for me to have faith in the character and in my closeness to him and my feeling I guess when I was writing the book that I was him um, and to allow myself to feel that to the fullest extent and to just not sort of second guess myself too much on the gender stuff and that's kind of where I came out which is obviously not to say that I got it right or that I even did it remotely well but just that that's the process that was informing me while I did it. One more question. Cool. There's yes. Yeah, it's extremely pressing. And I don't know um, to what extent this has been reported here in the US, but just in the last few days, um, a, a young journalist was, was murdered in, in the north of Ireland um, uh, by what seems to have been a, a dissident terrorist group. Um, so it is, it's, it's hugely pressing. I think particularly in the years since I um, began writing and finished writing these two books, um, because of specific political changes, among them, um, Britain's impending exit from the European Union and the questions that that raises about the um, the border between um, Northern Ireland and and the Republic of Ireland, which will now become a an EU non EU border. Um, 
there, that, that now has become a much more um, pressing source of political tension, even in the Republic. But I also think that um, people in, uh, in the Republic of Ireland have probably cultivated a, an ignorance about issues in the North, and I would include myself in that. Like, I think there's been an extent to which um, I've allowed myself to, to let those concerns, like still like ongoing pressing civil rights concerns to drop off the agenda because, um, you know, the Good Friday Agreement was signed and there's a kind of sense that like we've moved on. And I think um, now there's probably a, re uh, there's a, a reckoning now that um, there's sort of a beginning of an understanding in the Republic that um, more attention needs to be paid to these issues and um, we need to get really serious about thinking about the, you know, these problems, particularly obviously now that there are outbreaks of violence again. Um, I, I do think it's, it's heartbreaking the extent to which um, the UK does not seem particularly interested in what's going on in the North. Um, I think that's really, really difficult for people in Ireland, all over the island of Ireland. Um, so yeah, I, th I mean, I think it's, it's interesting and it could actually be a matter of historical curiosity that the North is basically absent from, from both these books, like, um, because it felt to me um, from my own position of ignorance, like it wasn't a pressing problem and how wrong I, I obviously was. Um, so I think that's a, that's a, thank you for raising that question. I think it is something that we're all thinking about more and more and, and definitely I'm thinking about more and more. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I'm, when I started writing um, Normal People, I started writing it in late 2015, as I think I said, and I knew that the, the book was gonna span the course of four years. And so I thought, oh, I could start writing it in 2015 and then it'll end in 2019. And then I thought, actually, I'm going to start it in 2011 and end it in 2015 because I'm not completely confident that I know what the world will look like in four years. Um, and, you know, I was, I was right about that one thing. Um, I didn't know what the world was going to look like in four years. Um, and so it's now, obviously... Um, the situation here and uh, and at home is very different and uh, to go on writing I think means to c confronting those problems um, as Lyra McKee the, the very brave journalist who um, was murdered just a few days ago did um, and and obviously to honour the, the memory of people like that by refusing to you know be silent and, and refusing to sort of avert our gazes from, from those issues um, so yeah no thank you for that question all right, thank you everyone for coming. Thank you. Thank you, Sally. You've been listening to the Skylight Books author reading series. Don't forget, you can listen to this and all of our other great podcasts at skylightbooks.com. Thanks again for stopping by, and we hope to see you soon.